Well, his notoriety increased when he accomplished a great feat. It was 1860. Charles Blondin was known as an acrobatic. He was known as a gymnast, but he was really noted for walking a tightrope. And his feat would be that he would extend a rope. He would have a special rope extended 11,000 feet across the mighty Niagara Falls. And it would be above the water at about 160 feet. And the crowds from Canada and from the United States gathered on both <coughs> sides of the falls. And he began to walk across it. No one had ever done that before. And he started off barefooted. And then he did it with stilts. He did it in the dark of the evening. He actually carried a stove out with ingredients and he cooked an omelet on the middle of the distance of the road. He took a wheelbarrow and he filled it with sacks of potatoes and he crossed over to one side. He emptied the wheelbarrow and he said, now how many of you believe that I could put a human being in this wheelbarrow and take it to the other side? And in the cheering, they were like, Blondin, Blondin, we believe in you. We know you can do that. And he said, well, then who will go with me? <laughs> and, and there were crickets. It was silent. <coughs> and let us pray together. God, we thank you for the season of Lent. A contemplative time for us to consider the journey you made. A reflective time for us to consider whether we'll join you. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We come to a dramatic turning point in the life of Jesus and his ministry. Uh, for he now is headed to Jerusalem. Jerusalem awaits him. And the death of a Roman cross is now inevitable. And various translations help us to understand the impact of what all this means this determination that Jesus had as he faced forward to Jerusalem. The scripture we read this morning says he looked resolutely to Jerusalem. Another translation says his face was like flint, hard, solid, determined, meaning that there would be no sway from that destination. The countdown to the cross had started. And he was totally determined. And preparations had been made. Now it's interesting that the first part of the scripture that Lori read for us describes the enmity and the racial struggle between 
the Jewish persons and the Samaritans. And how he was going to head into a village. And yet they would not receive him. Because they did not have the same place of worship. They did not value the same things. And, and so that he was uninvited. James and John, in their zeal, said, God, should we call down fire from heaven to destroy them in this kind of rejection that we've experienced? And he would not even allow racial tension to turn him away, to deter him from his destiny. And so he faced forward. And while things were heating up, and while the energy was building, he would not be distracted. He was focused. He would not be deterred. And so Luke records for us immediately after that encounter with this village, three conversations. And I think they're helpful for us when it comes to our own lives and our own justifications in our struggle in following Jesus. In our struggle to join him, to look resolutely towards Jerusalem. And the first is we see recorded in scripture, he was walking along the road and a man said to him, and he said, uh, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus speaks metaphorically again, as he always does. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He speaks to the where of what it means to follow Jesus. He, he's saying that one must change one's lifestyle in the sense of you will have to live outside. You will always be on the move. Are you willing to consider that cost in following me? And Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, at first glance at this, it seems that Jesus almost comes off as insensitive, lacking in compassion, because his response is, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. But contextually, you have to understand that it wasn't that his father was on his deathbed. He was just saying, the window of my father's life is very short, and to allow me to go and, and to spend time. It's not as though hospice had been called in and palliative care had been uh, issued. No, he was saying, there are some things I still want to do with my family, and, 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 and to let me bury those that are close to me. And then I, I will follow you. And so Jesus, in the first interaction, addresses the where. Are you willing to go wherever I call you? Are you willing to follow me wherever I lead you? And in the second one, he deals with the issue of time. And the person responds with, you know, to follow you now is very inconvenient. I'm not sure this is a good time. Have we ever raised that with God when he's called us to be obedient? 
And then still another says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and, 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 and say goodbye to, to my family. And, and there's something even more. We, we value family. But, but I would suggest to you that this one wanted to, to be with family and, and to maybe even allow them to have a, a send-off celebration and, and, and get all the niceties in place for him to be able to enjoy the amenities of family and home. And, and yet, even in the midst of these pleasantries, Jesus calls him. Jesus replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so we find that Jesus confronts this whole notion of followership and the inconveniences and the lack of comfort that comes with it. Are you sure you want me to go there and serve the Lord? Are you, are you sure you want me to go now? As I follow you, do I have to leave behind all the things that give me comfort? That have become familiar to me? I, I mean, I want to be a part of your club, and I, I want to be on the team, and this is great. We can spend a weekend at Jerusalem. But Jesus is saying, you cannot look back. There, there's a movement. And you can be part of it. I don't know about you, but I can be good at excuses. And uh, when it comes to the cost of discipleship, I can come up with some pretty good <coughs> We We come up with them in other categories, don't we? Uh, in marriage, uh, sometimes there is a, a feeling of uh, reality that sets in. You know, I, 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 I knew I wanted to get married, but I didn't know that it would change me. <laughs> Somebody understands over here. Uh, c college. <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I, I knew that there was a social life that was wonderful, but, but the rigors of study, there's a cost. Or vocations. Uh, I, I would love uh, to, to draw that paycheck. And uh, I'm willing to clock in some hours, but do I have to work nights as well? And so Jesus exposes the shallowness of our excuses. And, and he addresses one's lack of commitment. And so my, my question to you today, as we begin this journey to Calvary, as we look to Jerusalem, what would Jesus ask of you today? And what would be your excuse? Now, yours might be different than mine. But I like what one person said. I was trying to understand why someone wasn't doing something in the life of the church. And I asked a, a kind of a mentor pastor, I said, you know, they, they, they gave me 
an excuse for why they didn't want to do a certain thing. And, and he said, Tim, you know, I've discovered that one excuse works just as well as another. So what would our excuse be? I encourage you in the, in the notes to maybe write down what that would be. But we really don't want it to be inconvenient, and we'd rather not be uncomfortable. And we're not one that is asked often to pay the price, and we don't want to be considered a fanatic. Some of the biblical characters of old remind us of our own excuses. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. The disciples struggled. And so Jesus poses the question, will you follow me? And some of us might put down some excuses like, Lord, I've lived in this home all my life. This is what I know best. <coughs> Are you calling me to leave this place? Let me get out of debt. <laughs> and then once I get out of debt, I'll, I'll, I'll be generous. Uh, Lord, I want to get my ducks in a row. And, and, and if I can just get my life organized, then I'll follow you. But what I find is that Jesus really isn't looking for people that have their lives all together. He just simply invites us to follow. And when we begin to follow is when we begin to get some things together. And so as we begin this journey, as we look at this journey that we're on called Lent, a 40-day journey, we're headed to Jerusalem. And what is the point of the passage? The passage is that Jesus has a reckless abandon to do God's will. And he will not be deterred. And for the sake of the call, he is focused. He will not be distracted. Well, Tim, what is the point for us? That we would so focus on the one who is resolutely focused on Jerusalem and that we would let our focus be on that one who longs for us to be in relationship with him. So as we come today, we too struggle. We say, God, I believe in you. God, I, I trust in you. And, and his response is, really? Well, Blondin, there are two ends of the story that legend has. One is that uh, no one volunteered to get in that barrel. And the other that I read was this, that his mother was the only one that would get in there. <laughs> and in the same way, today, Christ invites all of us to trust him, to put our faith 
in him, no matter what that means. And he can be trusted as he resolutely heads to Jerusalem. Will we go with him? No excuses. All hell. Reckless abandon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.